Hi, everyone. I'm Liam Sanyo from Inside Scientific, your favorite online source for life science webinars, virtual events, interviews, and educational content helping you do your best work. This episode of Expert Answers features Dr. Angel Moreno, postdoctoral researcher on the modeling team at IHU Lyric in France, where he's looking for new ways to restore normal cardiac rhythm after sudden onset of arrhythmia. Recently, Dr. Moreno joined us for a webinar to talk about how optogenetics can be used to modulate the cardiac autonomic system with an emphasis on experimental preparation, troubleshooting, and data analysis and interpretation. Let's get right into it. So this one says, hi, can you please tell me about natural frequency of action potentials in different cardiac cells? And which option is most suitable in terms of kinetics? Well, in, in terms of a natural frequency action potential, you got to look about the excitable cells because there are several non-excitable cells in um, cardiac, just like fibroblasts or myofibroblasts or cardiac progenitor cells. So you have to go through the excitable, so those are the cardiomyocytes and cardiac uh, pacemaker cells. So every time that you have a contraction, you have an action potential meaning that depending on the situation, you will have different frequency of action potential firing. And you have heart rate, frequency will be increased, and the opposite will happen with, with, the, with the decrease of heart rate. I mean, I don't know if that's what you mean about natural frequency action potential, but that's how uh, usually cardiac pacemaker cells are, are driven. It's depending on the conditions of your heart, depending on the condition that you're, you're moving at that precise time that is going to be adapted. And now in terms of which options suitable, that will highly depends on what you want to do. I mean, you have the polarizing options, you have hyperolizing options. For instance, you, in the depolarizing options, you have the channel option, you're the one that, that we're talking about. And we also have a bunch of different mutations of channel option. In this case, you have like the channeloxin HR or channeloxin H134R. Those will create larger uh, photocurrents, but will have like a little slower tau, which is the kinetics of channel closer. You also have the red shifted option that I was telling before. You also have, for instance, calcium translocating channeloxin or CAT uh, CH. Which is often that are more, that have an enhanced calcium permeability and light sensitivity. These depolarizing are the ones that are actually, these are the options are the ones that are going to excite or they're going to stimulate the cell. Um, but you also have the hyperprolysing options, like a halodrilopsin, which is uh, going to stimulate chloride pumps or um, arteriolopsins, for instance, which is a proton pumps. Uh, this particular one, for instance, is. Uh, Thing is really like activated. Once you generate some hydroprolysing currents, you can probably see some myocardial contractions, press some cardiomyocyte activities, for instance. I know that some labs have used this type of option, the hyperprolysing option to treat uh, BF. But yes, I mean, which option is suitable is, is, is up to you, let's say. Fantastic, great answer. Next question here, another one from registration, but I'll combine it with one that was asked live. When measuring cardiac autonomic tone, over how long of a time period do you measure? And uh, by extension, we were also asked how long your preparations, your ex vivo preparations can last. Okay, so 
In terms of how long the XEO progression can last, I've had hearts for four hours. After that, I'm too hungry to continue, but they're viable after that. But again, you have to to, to be careful to have enough uh, fuel to get your hearts going. I just always say the glucose, for instance, is very important. Measure the cardioautonomic tone. Usually, I start low, so 30 to 60 seconds, meaning that I shine the light, wait 30, 60 seconds, and turn it off just to make sure that everything is working. It's fine, but I've had uh, experiments that I've used uh, simulation for over half an hour or more, and I still see the the, the, the response. Uh, of course, if you have uh, the sympathetic yeah. side, probably that won't last that long because the energy demand is too high, and probably the the vesicles are going to be depleted. That's just a hypothesis that we have. But for the parasympathetic side. Chances are that it will last longer than that. Yeah, so I've done it for at least half an hour, I would say. Fantastic. All right, question here from Jerome, who's asked, what is the depth of light penetration in the tissue? Well, that depends also on the light that they use. For blue light, sometimes you can go like two to four millimeters, probably tops. Red light could be the double, we double in that. But that, that highly depends on the wavelength. And the wavelength that you're going to be using depends on the opsin that you use as well. Perfect. Yeah, he, he actually added a comment here. With new opsins in near-infrared, you'll improve penetration but decrease power. And so there's a bit of a balance that you have to make there. Excellent. Okay, so David here has asked, what control do you use to reduce the effect of heat on neurons that do not express channel rhodopsin? So heat, I mean, like thermal transfer from the micro LED. I tried to use the what I was telling the PDBS to prevent to have any heat transfer in there. In terms of control, we've done some, some tests with uh, well-tied mice, meaning that there's no uh, chernodopsin in, in, any, in any neurons. We try just um, to shine the light just like the, the same way that we usually do with optogenetics uh, mice, and we don't see any, any change, meaning that we don't have any increase or decrease. Well, in this case, will be, if you have heat, you will have an increase. We don't see any, any increase in heart rate. If that what you what you meant by heat, I don't know if I answered your question. Yes, uh, if you if that answers your question, perfect. If not, yeah, you can specify in uh, the response in the ask a question box. Another question here: Do you, is your ex vivo uh, setup is it commercially available or is it uh, in lab built? I mean both. I would say. I mean, there are some companies that will sell you. The whole, the whole rig, I mean, every single piece that, that you can use for a Langendorf, or you can do just like I did. I mean, I pretty much built my own Langendorf, so it's possible, yes, to just build it like that. And in terms of the, for the perfusion system, for the model per se, for the optogenetics, yes, there are some companies that will sell you the mice with a specific gene expression. 
in our case, we bought the, the parents and we maintain our own colony and house. And for the LEDs, you can buy either the micro LEDs, which are perfectly available at the time, or you can buy like white area or spotlights, which costs you a bit, but uh, you can also buy those, yes. But in short answer, yes, you can build it your, yourself and you can also go commercially. Fantastic. Um, question here from Matthew who says, great technique and nice overview. Uh, the stimulation frequency was 5 hertz for both parasympathetic and sympathetic stimulation, which is quite different from normal activation frequencies on these nerves. I appreciate that this is different from electrical stimulation, but is this relevant and does changing frequency as opposed to brightness influence what happens? Uh, and is this simply a rhodopsin activation effect or a stimulation frequency event, stimulation frequency effect? Okay, so um, the 5 hertz uh, frequency that we use is because we try many different frequencies to see which one was the most optimal uh, frequency in this case. So, for instance, below 5 hertz, yes, you will see I would say, less impact in the, in the response, but above 5 hertz, like five, seven, eight hertz. It was very similar than the response that we that we saw in there. And you're right. I mean, is the frequencies very different than the natural frequencies you will expect? Like for instance, when you're um, when you're stimulating the vagus nerve for people suffering from epilepsy, for instance, the frequencies are about twenty hertz, which is much higher <laughs> than the the ones that, that that we use here. But 5 hertz in our case is, is the one that we found uh, to be the most optimal one. In terms of the kinetics, I will say that depending on the applicability that you have in there, because for instance, there, there are some, some instances that you have channel adoption that are attached to cardiomyocytes, so the frequency is going to be driven by how fast or slow your heart is going to go but in our case that's not the the case per se because we're not we're we're not controlling the heart rate by 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 stimulating cardiomyocyte but by stimulating neurons so it's different than the way that we do it so um, it's more like a frequency effect i will say in in, in our case a five hertz was the the sweet spot bit different than uh, what you should expect for normal neuron stimulation. Excellent. Great answer. And I think in the interest of time, we'll just have one last question here. Uh, it is, can optogenetic stimulation be used in intact animals or does it require a Langendorf prep? Can you stimulate cardiac sympathetics and parasympathetics in vivo? Technically, I will say yes. I, I haven't done it. I mean, most, most of the time we've done it is ex vivo. The thing is that when you have an in vivo approach, once you you open the chest cavity, you have to have an, an animal intubated, and we couldn't do that at that time. But technically, yes, I mean, we'll go that is possible. People have used it. I've used optogenetics in vivo, not precisely for neurons, for sorry, for cardiac neurons, but for other type of tissue. Yes, they they they've, they've done it, and that works just fine. But in our case that we have, we want to stimulate specific the neurons on top of the, or the one that are embedded in, in your heart, you, you will have to intubate. That's the next step for us. I mean, we want to go in vivo. And, but yeah, no, that's a great question. 
We hope you enjoyed this episode of Expert Answers and that you'll tune into future episodes where researchers just like you answer questions about their work and share science. Don't forget to subscribe and we'll see you next time.